What's up, everybody, and welcome to the second to last week of On Mission with Jesus. This is my last opportunity to communicate in this series. Next week, we've got a special treat for you. Momentum Elder Keith Goosby is going to be sharing with us. I'm excited for that day, and I'm excited for what we got coming next, because you're going to love the series that's following On Mission with Jesus. Let me tell you from the top why we're doing this, okay? In the new year, our goal is to relaunch Momentum, not to simply re- open. We are not a group of people sitting and passively waiting for our church to reopen. We are a group of people who are going to leverage this year and relaunch our church in the healthiest, brightest, most beautiful form she has ever been in. Why are we doing that? Okay, three reasons. We have a gospel opportunity. Rather than rushing back into service, we're going to intentionally engage our city and people who are far from God. We want to reintroduce and refresh our church. If you were at this month's launch team meeting, you know all about what I mean when I say refresh our church. Finally, here's our journey. We want a deeper faith and a tighter bond. As we go, here's the deal. We're taking a risk. We're doing things few churches do. We're we're going places that we've never been before. But as we join together in this gospel-centered risk, we're going to be bonded together in Jesus' name, and our faith is going to grow in the process. All that being said, I'm taking you straight into the text today because we're going to slice this these verses to pieces as they have so much to say about our lives, our mission, and our following Jesus. Here we go. John 14. Let's go. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to be your help and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he lives in you and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All of this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and He'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. I, my peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid." I remember being 23 years old and a brand new pastor. I was serving in a church and they had community groups, much like Momentum has community groups and different groups you can be a part of. And I was in a community group with a few other young couples, uh, just like Britt and I. We were newlywed. I was a new pastor. We're in a new group with several new couples. Now, I get a call from a woman in the church. And she says, hey, Matt, I heard you have a community group. I said, yeah, absolutely. She said, hey, I was wondering if you guys would be able to welcome in my daughter and her husband. They're kind of going through some things. They're having some troubles and maybe getting into a good group would help them. We said, absolutely. This new couple joins the group. And for all practical purposes, uh, they seem normal. They fit right in, brought good snacks. We all hung together, did Bible talk and all this stuff. And so eventually, as the young man in this couple grew more comfortable, he asked if he could talk with myself and another guy from the group. And we said, sure. We met up. It was one of our first times hanging out, and we were at a small coffee shop. And we said, well, what's going on, my friend? He said, guys, um, I don't really know what to do. Um, 
I don't really know how to handle this situation. I don't know if you know why we've actually joined your group. And we said, no, we don't know why you've actually joined the group. He said, well, here's the deal. Um, for about the last year, my wife has been in a relationship with another man. We said, really? What have you done? He's like, I have no clue what to do. So he said, man, okay, that's a big situation and there's a lot going on there, but here's the deal. We're going to be here for you and we're going to be with you. And so some weeks unfold and we're checking in on this guy and, and trying to meet him and meet his needs. The women in the group are coming around this young lady who's in a relationship with a man outside her marriage, although this young lady doesn't want to tell them about it or talk about it in any way, shape, or form. Well, here's the deal. We pour our lives into this couple for, for about a year. And we're praying with this guy. All of us know. She doesn't know we know. He knows. He's told us everything. And we're just praying that this marriage will be fixed. After a year of pouring into this couple, we get together with the guy. My friend and I get together with this guy after about a year. And he says, you guys, I got bad news. I'm like, what is that? And he, with tears in his eyes, looks at us and says, she's leaving me. As I fought for this marriage, as I feel like a failure, I feel like a loser, I'm heartbroken, and I don't know what to do. And I'll tell you something in that moment. I didn't know what to say. I was so far in over my head. And it was one of the first times I had this moment as a pastor. It's happened many times since. I wish when you got into ministry and began to shape other people's lives, God gave you this bag of magic pastor dust where I could see a wretched and horrible broken situation, sprinkle some dust on it and have it all turn out okay. But I didn't have that. I didn't even have the words. I didn't have a Bible verse. I didn't know how to help this guy. I didn't know how to help him fight for his marriage. I didn't know if he should let the marriage go. I'll tell you something, I felt the gap. I felt the gap. And I bet you have too. In that moment, I felt this huge gap between who I actually am and what was required of me. I felt the gap between what I was capable of, what I knew to say, the scripture, the counsel, the, what I had to offer in this moment, and what this moment was demanding of me. I apologize for the crummy graphic, but I think it's true for all of us. If you do faith long enough, or if you do life long enough, you're going to get to some experiences where you encounter this gap between who you are, what you bring to the table, and what's being demanded of you in any given moment. I don't think it's just for pastors and ministry workers and discipleship situations. I think it happens to all of us when COVID is dragging on and on and on and you're exhausted and you have to sit down at a table yet another morning and help your child with online school when it hasn't been going good. It hasn't been going good from the jump and it's yet another day with no end in sight. Oh, I bet sometimes you feel the gap and you simply don't want to do it. It's in those subtle moments Maybe around the workplace, maybe when no one's watching and, and there's this temptation in front of you. You are feeling drawn to take the easy road. You're feeling drawn towards momentary pleasure at the cost of your ongoing well-being. And although you know it could destroy you, for some reason you're drawn near, you feel the gap. It happens all the time. It happens 
Maybe you're on a replant journey with momentum and you're looking at the six months ahead of us and you're hearing us say, reach out to your friends, invite people, be bold. We're going to host these big events. And you're like, I really like that idea, but I can't imagine me being in that story, doing those things because I'm just not sure I have what it takes. It's the gap. You do faith long enough, you do life long enough, and you will eventually run into the gap. Now follow me into the room. It's called the upper room. If you've been around Jesus or followed him for a little while, you might know what I'm saying when I say upper room. There's really just one time in the life of Christ when these upper room words are used. If you're not familiar with the narrative and the stories about the life of Christ, the upper room happens at the very end of his life. As a matter of fact, about a day before he would be killed. What happens in the upper room is the whole tone shifts in the story of the life of Christ. If you're watching it on a show or in a movie, oh, the second they open the door in that room, the music would drop down and you would see a sign of Jesus you have never seen before. Oddly enough, he's about as clear as he's ever been and at the same time as cryptic as he's ever been. It's one of the first times maybe these disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, and the others would see Jesus with a hint of anxiety in his soul. There's also activity and unprecedented act of service. Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the one high up on the hierarchy, has washed the feet of his followers. This is not something that would normally happen. He talks to some disciples on the side. He says, you're going to see one dip some bread in a cup that I hand him. That is the one who will betray me, although they don't know what betrayal is about to occur. You see, Jesus talk with Peter, and Peter says, Jesus, no matter what, you're not going to wash my feet. No matter what, we're going to go down swinging. And oddly enough, Jesus says, Peter, I rebuke you. That's not the way it's supposed to go. All of this is happening in the upper room. But probably, quite possibly, the biggest thing that happens in the room that night is the disciples become aware that Jesus is not going to lead a military overthrow of the Roman government and establish the kingdom of Israel in its physical form on earth. They've come to realize that night that Jesus is going to die. The kingdom he was talking about is not the one in their imaginations. Rather, it is the reign of the heart of God on earth. And to usher in that kingdom, Jesus must die. They get it. And about two and a half seconds later, they start to feel the gap. Jesus says, you're going to go and do the things I've been doing. I'll tell you what, boys, you're going to do even more than that. And Jesus says, what you've seen me do, you are now to go and do. I'm handing the baton. It is your turn, fellas. I'm leaving, and it's on you now. Oh, and immediately they feel the gap. Jesus, you can't go. We need to go with you wherever it is you're going. Jesus, how do we get to the Father? He could, Jesus, how, when, when they come against us, you've been here before and you've taken care of everything. You're the one who cleared the temple and made things right. You're the one who taught and you're the one when people ask questions, you had all the answers. We tried to drive out that demon. We couldn't do it. You came down the mountain and everything was okay. Jesus, we feel the gap. And here's... Jesus's response. Let me tell you something. Oh, it's not self-improvement advice. 
It's not uh, just look at yourself in the mirror and say some incantations every morning and eventually it'll be true. Jesus doesn't give them a list of steps. Jesus gives them and us something far better. Here's the words in John 14, verse 15. And I just picture Jesus calming the room and saying, guys, 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 guys. If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate. Highlight, circle, underline in your Bible. This other advocate is going to be sent to help you and be with you forever. His name is the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, go back to my word, go back a slide to my another advocate right here. We're going to just park it on this idea of another advocate. Now, if you've been following, if you've been around Momentum for a few years, this might be a little review, but we're going to take this farther than we've taken it. This another advocate is this beautiful expression in the Greek language. You could pull up my Greek slide for me. It's parakletos, or paraklete would be the root form. Advocate, paraklete, parakletos. When Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. He says he's going to be another parakletos. What is that? Well, Jesus borrowed a word from the Roman legal system. And he says, I'm sending you this Holy Spirit and he will be a parakletos to you. Now, in the Roman legal system, parakletos is simply a defense attorney. You're being brought on trial. You're being brought up for charges. And you don't know how to defend yourself. You don't know the legal system. You don't know the court system. You'd be offered a parakletos to help you in that moment. Now, I, I grew up in a blue-collar family. I mean, my dad made a living with tools for 45 years. Think on that. So, man, I'll tell you, the whole world of... Attorneys, lawyers, legal fees, and that, I mean, for most of my life, that's, that's been a foreign concept to me. I've since met some attorneys and hang out with some who are great guys, but man, you got to picture my upbringing. We didn't know a thing about legal systems, but I'll tell you what, there was this time when my dad had done business, and man, I'll, I'll tell you, if my dad's been anything, he's been full of integrity and honest his whole life, and I grew up watching him fulfill jobs and people not send a check. And my dad said, you know what? I don't feel like messing with it. I'm just going to keep moving on. I watched him do jobs and stand with people and change their minds 10 times. And he just rolled with it. He didn't charge them extra. He just wanted to be straightforward and honest in all his dealings. Long story short, a day came in his job where in his family, he finishes a job for him and a refrigerator leaks underneath the sub floor, messes up their floor. And then he point the finger at my dad and say, it's all his fault. And this family, they lawyer up. And, and it was funny because I had heard the phrase lawyer up, but we didn't really think people would lawyer up. Their family had an attorney. And like, I don't know why they would think they needed to have that guy around all the time, but water leaks on the floor. They go, hey, it's your fault. There's no way that, I mean, we just know enough about floors and construction and homes. We're 25, 30 years in at this point. There's no way that him refinishing the floor caused a refrigerator to leak. Lo and behold, this family versus Mark Allman in the McLean County court system. My dad doesn't know what to do. So he literally pulls out the yellow pages, points his finger down at a defense attorney, calls a guy, says, this is what's going on. The guy says, okay, when's your court date? They met for the first time in court. 
And so there's this family, there's my father, and it's comical because, again, my father, I mean, when I describe him, I say, just, just think Andy Griffith. Think Andy Griffith being brought on trial. And, and so this family explains this horrible thing that this carpenter has done to their home and how it will never be the same. And I mean, my dad's nervous. He's listening to this lawyer make this case, and they've got photos, and they're prepared. And, and they said, okay, what do you guys have to say? And they looked to my father and his attorney, and... The attorney stands up and he says, Sir, I declare a directed verdict. My dad has no clue. He's like, aren't you going to defend me? I mean, you got to say something to these people. And uh, what, what, what is it? What, you just said two words. Right after that, the judge picks up his gavel on the thing. The court decides in favor of Mark Allman. Two words. And so my dad looks at him. He goes, what's a directed verdict? And the attorney goes, well, I knew what they were saying is crap. I could see in the judge's eyes he thought what they were saying is crap. And so directed verdict essentially means we all agree this is crap. Let's be done with this and move on. And my dad took back about everything he'd ever said about lawyers and attorneys at that point. Now, here was the thing. By himself, my father was in a bad position. But this attorney came. Here's what he did. He filled the gap between who my father was and what that situation demanded of him. Do you understand the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, saying, who, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come when you experience that gap in those moments of weakness, in those moments you don't feel like you have what it takes, in those moments where who you are feels so far removed from what the situation demands of you, Jesus says, you're exactly right. You don't have what it takes, and I'm sending my Spirit to empower you and to fill you in ways that you don't have on your own. The Holy Spirit is intended in our lives to fill the gap between who we are and what our faith and life demands of us. Now, that was review. I want to take you into this a little bit farther. And Jesus would go on to speak and teach on that evening in that room and say, all this I have spoken to you while with you, but the advocate, here we go, that's our paraclete, our Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, my name here's what he will do. He will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I give you, peace I give you, do not, I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, this marks a hinge in the New Testament. From this time forth, Jesus hands the baton to the Holy Spirit in this moment. And he said, okay, up to this point, I've been teaching you and I've been leading you. But from now on, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you. Up to this moment, I've been the reminder. I've been the presence. I've been with you. But from now on, the Holy Spirit is the reminder and the presence and the one with you. If you were to look through the book of Acts, which essentially happens after, you know, which would essentially be the rest of the story after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit takes the role of Jesus in the lives of the apostles. In other words, let me just make it simple. Everything Jesus was to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is to us today. Jesus was there to fight for the apostles and the disciples. Well, the Holy Spirit fights for us today. 
Jesus was there to instruct and guide the disciples. The Holy Spirit is now our instructor and our guide. Jesus was there to embolden these people and call the best out of them. Today, the Holy Spirit will do the same for us. I think about it like this. I apologize. I told you guys I could get a sports illustration in any single sermon if you just give me enough time. I think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. You guys saw the story unfold this year, didn't you? Did you see this year's Super Bowl? Somehow the Bucs make it to the Super Bowl. Somehow, do you, do you know? Do you know prior to this season, the Bucs had the lowest winning percentage in the NFL? They were the worst team. Do you get this? And here they are winning a Super Bowl this year. What happened? Two words. Tom Brady. And in an instant, Tom Brady is added to this team. And they go from struggling and striving to championship caliber football. They're going to do the same next year. The Bucks. Okay, here we go. Let me bring this down to earth for you. The Bucks trying to play without Brady is like Christian people trying to do Christian things without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bucks are going nowhere without Brady. And you and I will go nowhere unless we learn to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives. Buckle up, we're going to fly. Here's three things available to you in the Spirit. Holy Spirit will fill the gap. Remember that gap? He'll fill the gap between the strength you have and the strength you need. Oh my goodness. Almost everywhere in the New Testament, you see the Holy Spirit pop up. You see the words power and strength. Second Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit that makes us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Jesus, his final words to these disciples before he ascends into heaven, but you will receive what? power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 1 Corinthians 2.4, my, my message, this is Paul in my preaching, we're not in persuasive words of wisdom, but what? A demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 1 Thessalonians, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the what? The power of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you something. We are still very much so in the aftermath of 2020. And in so many ways, shapes, and form. I think I speak for all of us when I say I need a power bigger than my own. I need a power bigger than my own to move forward. I need a power bigger than my own to not be overwhelmed by people and their dumb opinions. I need a power bigger than my own to continue to parent within the confines of these four walls. You, you, college age, young adults, you need a power bigger than your own to figure out how to find a you, how to find a date in this? Where are you trying to take somebody? Where are you trying to go? How are you going to form a relationship in these conditions? You need a power bigger than your own. You need a power bigger than your own to be a part of a relaunching church. You need a power bigger than your own to be everything it is that God had in mind for you. This is the beauty of the gospel. See, we are not just saved. We are saved and given power to be everything we were made to be. We were given power. Come on, you remember this. God gave you a word. He wrote, there's a work he designed you to do in your time on earth. And not only gives you the assignment, but the power to fulfill it. The Holy Spirit will fill the gap between the character you have and the character you need. 
there's this words about the Holy Spirit that I've wrestled with for so long. As a young man, I just thought this was junk. It says the fruit of the Spirit, or but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And for the longest time, I looked at this list. And I was like, I don't want that. I want God showing up in my life. And I want the fruit of the Spirit to be power, charisma, success, health, longevity, good friends, and pleasure. Like, I was like, what are we about to do for my time on earth with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self Like, I want some, come on, man. God, is this your idea of blessings? Like, let's pour some, you can give everybody else that, but I want some other stuff. And then I started sitting down with couples. And I started sitting with people whose marriages are on the edge of falling apart. And I realized almost every single time you see a fractured family, it's because one of these things was missing. I thought these were a waste, and then I thought with men, or I sat with men who had lost their businesses. I sat with people who had poured into a business for 25 years only to have it come crumbling down. And I realized almost every single time I saw a man ruin his career or lose his business, it's because one of these things was missing. I looked at my own life this year in the confines of quarantine, and the Holy Spirit brought me to the shocking realization that there will only be as much peace in my home as there is patience in my heart. I came to realize as uh, the husband and the father in the household that my patience or lack of patience shapes the entire climate of our home. And I began to see that these things are serious. The scriptures teach as you follow Jesus, as you pay attention to his spirit, these things grow in you naturally. You're not faking it. You're not trying to make it yourself. They grow in your soul and bring health, vitality, and flourishing to every part of your life. Can I tell you one more thing about the Holy Spirit? He'll fill the gap between the words you have and the words you need. Here's what I mean. I'm going to talk specifically about our calling to impact the world in Jesus' name. I'm going to talk specifically, again, at the launch team meeting. You heard our plans to go into the city and host events and to draw people near. You heard that it is so important that we are a people marked by hospitality. It's important that we're inclusive people looking at the world around us for opportunities to invite people in. And if you're anything like me, you're like, I don't know how I can do that. I mean, I'm the king of the awkward conversation, Matt. How, How am I? I think one of the best things I could do is just sit back. I mean, I'll set up the tent and you let's have some other people talk because every time I do Jesus and talking, I never feel like I have the words. To that, Jesus would say, or better yet, Jesus already said in Mark 13, whenever you're arrested and brought on trial, whenever you have to speak for yourself, you know what he said? Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is ever given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Did you hear him? He said, oh, if, if you were talking with Jesus, you're like, Jesus, I can't do this. I never know what to say. I don't have the words. He'd go, oh my gosh, who told you you have to know what to say? 
You're like, oh, I should, right? I mean, I do that in my workplace. I do that, you know, I do that, you know, out and about. I, I like to know what to say. He says, no, 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 no. Not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, your job is to show up. And I promise in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. My friends, you don't have to have the words. All you have to do is show up. Now, when we talk about this, who doesn't want it? Who doesn't want character and power and words? Who doesn't want to see Jesus move in new and special ways? We all want that. But we all land in the same exact place. I don't feel that way. Matt, why don't I see the Holy Spirit showing up more often? Well, where is this? I want it, but I don't see it. I've been saved for 20 years. I haven't seen it. Well, there's a lot to be said there. But I can tell you where to start. It begins with turning on your receptors and beginning to listen. I found this picture this week. And you might be going, what the heck is that? Well, I'll tell you what that is. That is a visual representation of all the radio waves that are present in air on Earth at any given time. Okay, that's Earth folded out. And the different colors are different types of radio waves. You have CB radio and police communications and first responders and military radio frequencies. You have cell phone towers, cell signals. You got Wi-Fi. You got Bluetooth. At any given moment, they say, if you could see even just a shade of the radio waves that are present in the air all around us all the time, at any, if they were all visible all at once, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face because you're surrounded by them. But it's only when you tune in that you actually experience them. It's only when you open your phone and you experience it's online and being connected to a tower somewhere. It's only when the radio comes on in your car. It's only when you send something to somebody via Bluetooth that you experience those waves. Can I tell you something, you guys? The Holy Spirit is the same way. If you want to experience Him, you've got to tune in. And so, what's your first step? How do you do that? You simply go, Holy Spirit, I'm listening. That is not, that is not, that is not complicated. That's a few short words. Holy Spirit, I'm listening. But my friends in the kingdom of God, it's about as deep as it gets. Holy Spirit, I'm listening. My friends, you've been given a gift. He'll bridge the gap between the strength you have, the strength you need. The character you feel that you possess and the character that life demands of you. The words you feel like you have and the words that you actually need. And he's tuning or he's broadcasting to you even in this moment. My question is, are you tuned in? I love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.